Tonight we come to those closing two verses in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. The title is this, Giving Glory to God. We find in there, don't we, that to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And those verses are a climactic ending to a climactic prayer. And we saw that prayer last Lord's Day evening, prayer of Paul, for the church, church at Ephesus, but actually for all churches, all God's people, uh, to all generations, if you will. What a prayer that that was. He might be strengthened in the inner man, in the inner woman, that in the very depths of our being, that there would be that sanctifying, that confirming grace and power that Christ may then dwell in our hearts through faith. And moreover then, from that position of growing knowledge, growing our place in, in God's sight, that we may have power to comprehend the love of Christ. Well, Paul sets a paradox there. We saw last time that uh, you'll never get there. You'll never find the depths of it. You'll never get the width of it or the length of it or any dimension of it because it's beyond you. But nevertheless, Paul prays that you'll get nearer and nearer to it and be assured of it. And indeed, then he says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a, that's a prayer, isn't it? Just, and this isn't just talking for the talking's sake, but this is reality that we might actually be more and more Christ-like. God is waiting to answer that prayer. He is waiting to fulfill that. Not that we become divine, as some would teach, and how wrong they are to teach that, but that we can become more and more like the Son of God in his humanity, as he lived in obedience to his Father, as he showed us what servanthood is. Well, then there's our pattern, and he gives us all the assistance we need to fulfill that, to get nearer and nearer to it. We're not to imagine that we're going to ever reach that any more than we're ever going to reach being able to say, that's it. I've kind of captured now the love of God. I've nothing more to say, nothing more to know. We never get to that point any more than we can say, well, that is it. I am now received the fullness of God, nothing further to ask for, nothing further I need. Of course not. But the prayer is that we might find a little bit more, an increment here, an increment there, and more and more get nearer to what this perfection is that's held before us, this high calling that is ours in Christ. And really then, these last two verses couldn't really be but here to finish what we've just been reading. Why, in a sense, to come to the climax of everything that's gone before. You could start from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and follow through into chapter 2 and see what contrasts and how we've been changed and what God has done in order to save us from the deadness of our sins. And on Paul goes with this relentless logic and drawing it out and then showing the place of the Jews and the Gentiles now under the headship of Christ, now all part of the household of God and pursuing it on and using such language, such vast, extravagant language to describe God and his purposes and what he's doing. It's always riches of this and the greatness of that. Well, he's been saying all of that, so it shouldn't surprise us in a sense 
that now he almost exceeds himself in his language. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us and therein. That working will bring glory to God in the church by Christ Jesus. It follows. He's been speaking to us of a great salvation, speaking to us of a great God and a great saviour, been speaking to us of great love and great power, great future, great plans. And therefore, it must follow that nothing that we can ask, nothing that we can pray, nothing that we can actually conceive in our thinking will somehow outdo God, that we will kind of get on top of what he is about there, and that that's it. No, there is always not just a little more that we can know, just a a, a little further, but that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. The language, again, is language of superlative. It's language that follows because everything so far has been the greatness of God's love, the greatness of his mercy, the greatness of his power. And therefore, it must follow that if it's according to the power that works in us, then that is power indeed. And therefore, well, the sky's the limit, dear friends. There is there's always so much more that he is able to do than we can ever conceive of, ever ask, ever enter into our minds, even to think. And so all of that, and we notice it all, comes by Christ Jesus, the mediator of all of this, the one at the right hand of God, and the Holy Spirit sent from above into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And in a sense, our praises are to match his majesty and his excellence, that we, when we'll finish, glory be to God the Father, We don't have to shout and we don't have to jump up and down, but surely flowing out of our hearts should be, as in those words, something of a response within us that is saying, indeed, glory be to him in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. And this isn't exaggeration. Nothing, anything in scripture is exaggeration. Whenever it speaks of the greatness of God and the the love of Christ and what its dimensions are, whether beyond our computing, it's not exaggerating or promising us something like a a great feast and you get there and, well, there's not so much after all and matches to sandwiches or something like that. It's actually promising us great things, great interventions that God can bring and it's not exaggerating. And so when we, we pray according to that, that is really the expression of our faith, faith that has been tutored by revealed knowledge. This is what we know of him, and it's all here. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll take the first verses there, and beyond that, say from verse 3 of chapter 1, and everything that we've been looking at in these evening sermons since we've embarked upon this study, that that is all what our faith takes hold of. And then we express that faith, that belief, hold upon that truth in the prayers that we believingly there bring to God. So my first heading, bit of an anticlimax, this, the fight of faith, the fight of faith. How are we 
to follow this? Does this accord with our experience? Could you and I say those words that Paul has said there and mean them? Would we be saying them and saying, yes, absolutely, that's, uh, I follow Paul in that? Or might we be tempted perhaps to say less than that and say, well, wait a minute, it's in that. Uh, we've got lots of, lots of issues regarding prayer. We, we, we've got lots of matters where we're still unfulfilled and still, still waiting. Can we really be as extravagant in our expectations as this? Does our experience match what Paul is saying here? Well, we're not going to say that the apostle here is guilty of just saying too much here. And remember, what he's saying, he's not saying it as he kind of views some wonderful sunset there, beautiful landscape, or as he's just, I don't know, enjoyed a wonderful meal. He's in a prison cell. He's chained to some guards and I can't imagine that the prison cell where he is in Rome is uh, adorned with beautiful things, bunches of flowers or sweet fragrances there, far from it. Dank and miserable and, well, prison food is prison food, isn't it? There, Even if they supply it, he's reliant mostly for his friends coming and bringing him something to eat. Else he, he would starve. So it wasn't as though his outward circumstances are just compelling him to make this, this grand statement, this doxology, we call it, this praises to God. But he knew what he was talking about. And he knew that he's not exaggerating here. The spirit of God was upon him. He's writing words here that are pure words in that way. He's writing here words that are excellent words, inspired words, and therefore true words. He's not holding before us as though God is dangling something tantalizingly there. And we say, well, I've not quite seen this. I've not quite experienced this. Is this right? Is this true? Because we can, we can wonder, can't we, sometimes where we find ourselves? Oh, we pray to this community here, haven't we, friends? Those of us who have been here a fair few years and some of us have been here more years than I've been here. And we've been praying for this community. Well, I can tell you this. We've seen little happen. We haven't seen many turn toward the Lord or show any kind of great sort of inclination there to search these things out. Very, very little. And it grieves me when I I hear funerals. Oh, I know that person who died and, well, we visited them perhaps and may have spoken to them and I might have spoken there and now they're not there. And there was no, no reflection in their life that they they were trusting in the Lord or that he meant something to them. And we must fear that they, they died and went into a Christless eternity. Well, people, some of us who, who live around here, forgive me if it's a bit parochial in that way, but you can apply it to your own community and you say, well, where are they? Certain people, like, well, what's happened? I haven't seen him for, oh, how long? And then you compute, two years, is it? What's happened to him? Is he still alive? Is she still around? Has she passed away? And we feel sadness at that because, again, last time we saw them, there there was no response. There was no indication that they were looking to the Lord. We grieved at that and saddened at that. And it raises questions. And perhaps you and I have prayed for unconverted members of our families. And I've seen nothing happen yet. And we've seen perhaps some of them die. They weren't converted. 
This leaves us with a sadness and maybe some questions there. Prayed for the nation. We're still praying, aren't we? It's not like we're seeing our nation spiritually there on the men. Countries like North Korea, well, indeed, how still their opposition, hatred of the truth remains. Prayed for people, maybe with mental health issues, different conditions there. And still, it's a battle for them. Still, it's a struggle. And encourage them, hold on to them, and point them ever to the Lord. Yet their struggles seem still to remain. Yet here it says, him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all, that we ask or think. Well, friends, we do sometimes have to stop and then look at ourselves, don't we, there? And see that actually this, this is true. And while we may have to perhaps park up some of the questions that remain unanswered and matters of God's providence and sovereignty where we simply have no answers, we have to leave them with him. But what this tells us is this, that we certainly should pray with faith, and that we might sometimes have to change direction in what we're praying. And that there may be things where the Lord will show us, well, ask for something different to what you're asking. And there's light. And we have some, some understanding of our situation or somebody else's situation, and we can better pray. But when we look at what the scope of this prayer is, this is no exaggeration here. Remember this that the time scale in which we are praying goes beyond our own life. You know that, don't you? That it isn't as if that's it, as soon as we die, all those prayers that we have made, that's gone. The answer may be beyond that generation. It may await another day of fulfillment. As Daniel saw the great things of prophecy there and had to seal up this book of prophecy and awaited another day for its fulfillment. And we may have to wait and wait beyond our own life here upon earth before we see perhaps the answers to some of the questions we'd long for. See this community change. It might be when I'm dead and buried. To see those members of our family, our younger generation, to see them really on fire for the Lord. It may be a time beyond our own time here on earth. We simply cannot second guess God in that. Don't think. Well, maybe in speaking, standing in this pulpit here after this morning, if we were, one looked around, so many, so many people and younger people and people are coming from all directions and leaving behind Pentecostalism and coming away from various sort of less than satisfactory expressions of Christianity. Why are we friends, wasn't it? Day in our fellowship meal, we could hardly move. And was that not a joy? No, it was a bit stressful to our, our serving friends there who were, who were making, uh, making the food go round, but he did. And what a joy it was to see so many people. And who could have imagined that? Who could have imagined that? We've been here in some pretty sad times and pretty slender times and reduced numbers and hardships there. I cast my mind back three years ago and well, I think over the fellowship meal in January that I recall bringing the news that uh, the church roof was in dire need of the complete restoration. And at that time, I can remember people actually gasped. We, we were told it could be facing a bill of a quarter of a million pounds. Well, we didn't quite think it might be that much, but we knew it was certainly going to be a lot. 
And indeed, that turned out to be the case, not a quarter of a million indeed, but nevertheless a substantial amount. And we might have wondered at that time, has the church actually got a future? <laughs> well, well, the doors stay open. Well, how, how, how is this to be accomplished? We prayed, didn't we, friends, those of us who were part of that story, and we looked to the Lord and believed, no, that there was a future. Uh, couldn't see how, but we believed. And lo and behold, through many twists and turns, many ups and downs, many remarkable things, and here we are. And this morning, as we have prayed in time past for, for people to come, enjoy the new roof and the pointing work that I keep going on about there, but we have people to be here. And, and this morning, we looked out and over the fellowship meal there, and putting chairs out and extra knives and forks and and, uh, well, what a wonder that was. If you're telling me that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, well, I must say for myself, I'm inclined to agree with that. And to see what the Lord has done in that way, it's deeply, deeply humbling. Who could have imagined that? But we believed that we shouldn't pass up this building. We believe that we should have kept on. And even though we couldn't see how among our small company and our slender resources such a thing could be undertaken, and yes, the Lord led in that, I do believe. And we're seeing things that gladden our hearts greatly in him. And we are just immensely thankful that uh, that we're seeing people coming, joining with us and happy to be among us. And that that is truly gladdening to the heart. That the church is still open when many people might have said, not a chance, no hope here. And yet here we are. And we can believe, actually, can we not, that <laughs> there are more chapters to be written, more installments in the story that, that he's able to do, actually, exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think. That I am no prophet, nor no prophet, some, but who knows yet? Uh, Christ Baptist Church, perhaps there are a few more very, very interesting chapters to be written. And this text here, this passage, will give us every reason to pray for that. And to pray with faith for that and to plead with God for that, that others may yet perhaps in the fullness of time find their way uh, in this direction. Not only ourselves too, but we rejoice and we think of our friends over there We're having to teach ourselves not to say Jacksdale for much longer, but to say Watchhorn. And uh, that'll be a bit of work there, won't it? There, I'm so used to saying Jacksdale, but the Lord has blessed them. And young families there and, well, they've outgrown the building. And that's why this plan now, perhaps, of some of them moving towards Watchhorn and extra facilities there. And we rejoice with them. That is indeed to see something exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think, certainly above all that they ask or thought. And we rejoice in these things. God is deeply supernatural, deeply supernatural. And he can be working in the hearts and minds of people who... We've never met, not knowingly spoken to, but they're, they're on the internet or they're asking the right questions. They're reading the right books and beginning to straighten out their, their kind of idea and understanding of God. And uh, we welcome these dear friends with open arms. We surely do. But notice this as well, that while we are led here to indeed entertain high thoughts, big thoughts about what God can do, and for good reason. And perhaps we're even beginning to see why the fulfillment of some of that in our own day here. But it's according to the power that works in us. This power that works 
in us, that this exceeding abundant above all that we ask or think, that there's something correlated there with the power that works in us, that there is something that God is doing in the believer that actually is all part of answering a prayer, dealing with communities, dealing with the nation even, and that there's something that he's doing through his spirit by Christ Jesus in the hearts of his people. And again, the language is extravagant, that we should not limit the Holy One of Israel in this, because really what he's saying here, why we've already read it, friends, no surprise in this, because if we're talking about the power that works in us, Paul has already said some very significant, very weighty, very challenging, but actually very exciting things. Chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, and this was another prayer of his. What is it? That our minds would be fully understanding of what? Well, let me just read from, indeed, verse 19 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So the power that is working in the believer has an exceeding greatness. You see, Paul is is using language here, this uh, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So according to the power that works in us, well, that's actually according to an exceeding greatness of power. And how does he find something to compare that power with, and which kind of equates with that power? Well, he turns us to the resurrection. That was power. Brought back our Lord Jesus from the dead. That was power that uh, overcame death. That was power that reversed all of that. And indeed, Brought the Son of God back, not not as he was, but a humanity that's gone beyond the, the humanity that we will have in heaven, that of the heavenly man. Well, that was power. And you mean to say that that power equates with the power that is now at work in us, that it's according to that power? Well, dear friends, that's what the scripture is telling us. And I dare not tell you anything less than that. That's power. And that, dear friends, is working in you. And working in me, if you're a believer tonight, that's working in you and working in me. And in a sense, we should therefore, (laughs) well, think, ask with great expectation for our own progress in the faith, our own sanctification, our own conquering of sin, because seemingly so, that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That is, that is some promise. And that is some prayer that we can pray and do it according to what we read here in Scripture so faith can take hold of that. So I'll pray according to that. Let's see what happens. Well, let's see indeed. Think back. Think back over your Christian life. Think back. You can think, oh, dear, there was a mistake there. Oh, why did I end up there? How come I was thinking that of all things? Why was I? Mixing with that kind of teaching there, how come? Well, indeed, how come? But you're not there now, and I'm not there now. And why is that? Well, it has something to do with this, that there's power that was at work. And we might have thought, oh, it looked as if we were doomed. Why, the temptations that we were subject to, the situations we're in, it looked as if we were doomed. 
And we maybe didn't even realize the danger that we were in. Yet there we are. And we came through, came through, giving glory to God, thankful for his deliverance, glad in him, learning more, growing up a bit, maturing in the faith, seeing things differently and glad that we're seeing them differently, not like we're seeing them before, but now seeing them better, clearer. The Bible's making more sense and parts that we maybe just didn't like before. Now we see where they fit in and we're getting it. We're seeing the bigger picture. How come? when it might have looked that we're in all the wrong places and that we were completely in a mindset that was really quite worldly. And now it's changed. Well, that's because there was power working in you and working in me. That's because there was something very supernatural. And that supernatural power actually was exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We could look back and be horrified at where we were. And, and wonder, how did we survive? Was I thinking that? Was I listening to that? And yet, by God's grace, we survived it. And we weren't so irreparably damaged by it as to have lost all real resemblance of being a Christian or lost any kind of uh, sense of pilgrimage. But we were spared and we were helped and we were encouraged. How come? Well, it was because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. How come? How come? Here I am still, still, yes, use that word, still here in the ministry, still preaching. I can think of opportunities I might have had over those 22 years here and a few more years before that in London, where I might have stopped, might have thought "This this is too much, this is too heartbreaking. This is too, too unfruitful. And yet, somewhere within it all, God's encouraged me and kept going. Still here, still preaching. Well, whether for good, for ill there, God will have to judge in the end and you do friends too in that way. But surviving. And I know my other friends who are in the ministry, surviving. Well, no, doing better than that. Even prospering. Even in difficult circumstances, rejoicing in God. Preaching still the word, not seeing grapefruit, their communities just like ours. How is that so? How do they survive? Well, because this exceeding abundance beyond all that we ask or think, power that is working in us. That's how we persevere. That's how we stay the course. That's how, whatever our calling, whether a minister, preacher, whatever, that's how we're still here, friends, when we could have thought back million reasons why we might have stopped, been discouraged, given up, quit. And then look at our own personal lives. And those things that you and I thought will never overcome that. That's 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 just who I am. That's uh, inherited. Parents are like that. That's how I am. And, and we prevailed, actually. And we learned some habits that we had. We, we weaned off them and Ways of thinking that were just sort of repetitive and always took us downward and the whole kind of thing collapsing in. But now we find some strength and we find some help. How come? Well, again, it is because he's done exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And sometimes he's done things that we haven't even thought about. We didn't even ask for. Isn't that remarkable? We didn't even know what to pray for. Uh, we asked for this and we didn't ask right, but he knew better and he provided often that trial <laughs> sent upon you, sent upon me, that suffering. 
And through that we learnt, and that was all part of his power working in us, teaching us through our sufferings and our circumstances, our trials and our tribulations, that we might overcome our worldliness and our sin and our false hopes and expectations, our unspiritual mindedness. And that was the work of God. So final heading and briefly we must be glory in the church. Glory in the church. All of this, all of this change within, all this power that's working in the hearts of his people, all of this is actually that there will be glory in the church, that there will be happening in churches, lives that are in the process of being transformed, people on pilgrimage, putting away the world, overcoming a temptation, prevailing through a trial, and still trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings glory to God. That brings glory to him. And the source of it all, how come they're here? How come you and I are here? It was by Christ Jesus. It was his spirit. It was that we belonged to him. And he's determined that we will reach to the end of our pilgrimage, that he won't lose a single one of his people. And that only makes sense because we know that right from the beginning of time, before time, that there he had his eye upon his people before they ever were and had his plan to bring you and me through this world, through all its challenges, difficulties, all that Satan could throw at us, all that our own sinful, unbelieving hearts could bring in by way of impediment and difficulty. And his determination was then, is now, and always will be, to bring us home to glory. And so our lives, lives that are demonstrating more and more what it means to have the fullness of God, the Christ-likeness, holiness, sanctification, wisdom, his truth, knowledge, making the very perfections, the very reality, the very character of God readable, measurable by people outside. And indeed by those inside, looking on at each other, seeing the progress, seeing the movement forward, thinking that was God. That was his spirit that was doing that. And that, that impresses, doesn't it? That leaves an impression there. That's what God has done and is doing. And we give glory to God. We thank him for that. We respect him for that. And indeed, when we've seen some of that, we want more of it. Nothing like a blessing to then desire more. Because you realize that you and I, we've been satisfied with too little and thought too little, expected too little, prayed too little. And we have then set on an appetite of seeing more of the work of God, seeing his power more at work in us. Because then we're manifesting his love and we're manifesting his joy and his peace and his fruitfulness. And then people read from our lives what Christ is doing, what his spirit is doing. And it moves them actually to honour God and to believe in him and believe in his reality because they see some evidence. This is Christ at work in his church, his power, which beyond anything we could ask or think. And it leads to his name being glorified. People in the church, people outside of the church. As we read in Ephesians 2 and verse 7, what is this that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And the people to come, perhaps, will see 
because of who we are, how thankful we are, how humbled we are, that God should have even set his love upon us, that there in eternity he, he had a place for us in his affection. Yes, he did. And that our sense of amazement, amazing grace, our sense of wonder that God should have done this for us communicates something in the ages to come, and it communicates this exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. But our joy in him, but our hope in him, but our faith through hard and difficult times shows to other people what his kindness means to us. And of course, the opposite there, when people see bad behavior in the church, and immorality in the church, half-heartedness in the church, they conclude, well, there's nothing to see here. There's, this is no, no big deal at all. And they're minded to not even give a second glance to what the church is saying, what it's preaching, what it's believing. And so we give glory to God in the church, the lives that are being changed by that power that's within. And out of that, we, we sing our praises. We give glory to God in such a way that we, we praise him. And uh, we don't go out of our way there to kind of now these days open the windows. But in the summer, I guess, with the windows open, people in the community can hear our praises. But I hope they realize from that that we mean it. That the big words that we sing, the, the doctrines that, that are there in the great hymns of the past, now mostly of the past, I have to say, that, that they realize there's something weighty there. And these people mean it. They believe it. We're giving glory to God. We're saying to the wider world, you take him seriously. And we are. You hear what we are saying about him and we believe it. And that they may take note of that. True words. Words many of them beyond us, actually, saying things that are beyond us. <laughs> Too much there, the infinite immensity of God. We see it, we don't understand it. How could we? Because that's who God is, but we're happy to proclaim it. We sit under the authority of the Bible. We say that this, we hold this word up. This, this is where all the promises of God are. This is where the truth is. We hold it, believe it believe what they will out there and what their science tells them or so they think well they'll find the folly of that in due course no we are here with the truth of god's word we hear it and we happy at least i hope we are to have it preached it's what a pulpit's about it's not so you can see me i'm needing desperately a haircut at the moment but don't look too far there but this is the bible that's where it occupies that place that's where we sit under its authority and we say to people, we hold to its authority. We go out in the open air. We, we're saying about the Bible. We're believing the Bible. We're under its authority. We honor it. We lift it up and we bring glory to God in that. Our prayers, whether here in church or I trust when we're at home, we, we elevate God there. We show forth our trust in him by praying to him, believing in him, visible. Yes, but he's there and he's real. And we would commend him in our prayers to people and then our witness. All that we are about, that we hope commends Christ, not ourselves, but Christ Jesus. We are but servants on his behalf. We are but ambassadors and sometimes in chains preaching him. And that's what we want people to see, that this is by Christ Jesus. Whatever they're seeing, if they're seeing something that resembles Bible truth, then they're seeing him. That's his work. We are testifying to his risen power. 
and inviting people. You come and share that. You, you come into the, the life, the fellowship of life with God. You come and find Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You, you come and find yourself in now in the pages of Ephesians. See these great things. Have your eyes open to them. Well, may we give glory to God. May we be praying in accordance with what we read here, expecting and by the grace of God, perhaps living to see where still we, we have longings unfulfilled, prayers that we would say, well, that, that's not been answered in the way that, oh, how we would have longed for. Maybe the day will come when even on some of those things we'll say, ah, oh, yes, he did do exceeding abundantly above all that we are still thought. But certainly we're seeing help from heaven, encouragements to our souls, and we should have every expectation to believe that there's a lot more yet to come. Amen.